Romans 6, and we're going to pick up this morning in verse 15 through the end of the chapter, which continues to deal with this idea of freedom in Christ, uh, looking at and trying to tweak out and come to understand more uh, effectively and more deeply who we are in Christ. So the theme for this, last week and this week is we are free in Christ. Last week we looked at the fact that we, <clears throat> in this freedom, died to sin and were made alive, made new, born again in Christ in a way that is utterly and completely different than what we were before. So that God did not reform us, God actually remade us. That's the miracle of the new birth and of conversion. And in that new birth, we are made free, delivered from the slavery of sin. But then the text that we look at today is fascinating because freed people in this text are made slaves. Okay, freed people are made slaves. That would be the theme of what Paul's going to talk about in verse 15 down through the end of the chapter. Now, the question that Paul picks up again, he picks it up in verse 1, he picks it up in verse 15. He's, he's kind of firing off chapter 5, which says that you are justified by grace through faith alone, in Christ alone. It is all the work of God. All right, it is a marvelous grace that liberates from any burden of performance. Okay, but it is a grace that changes you. And if it doesn't change you, you have not truly experienced it. That's the argument that Paul's going to put forth. And the way he does it is by asking questions. Verse 1 of chapter 6, he says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? His response, by no means. Verse 15, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? And once again, his reply is, by no means. Now, what is Paul saying here? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? The idea of being under the law in the context is being under the law to the end of salvation. Okay? That is this idea. That salvation, a changed heart, is achieved by obeying the law. Paul says that is not the way it is in Christ. Instead, we come into Christ by grace through faith. Okay, so it's not about self-salvation. It is about God's saving grace reaching down freely and wonderfully transforming our hearts. And Paul says, now, since salvation is not a result of human accomplishment, it's not a self-salvation, it's not the result of religious performance. Since that is true, what direction could that lead some people in? Paul anticipates the question. Well, if that's true, Paul, then can we just live as we want? Can we live carelessly, loosely, and freely, can I sin and not worry about it since salvation is a gift? Do you understand the argument? Does a great emphasis on grace, and this is the question that comes up, does a great emphasis on grace sanction or encourage sin in any way? Now, if you preach a cheap grace that doesn't change, or if you share a cheap grace, well, you, all you, just need to, you just need to believe in Jesus. You don't have to follow Him and obey Him. You just need to trust Him. Okay, you're not giving to people the full gospel. Okay, the full gospel talks about our sinfulness and our, our old allegiances and adopting new allegiances by grace through faith. It is a faith and grace that changes, that transforms. And so when Paul says this, he says, shall we continue in sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace. Paul's Heartfelt responses, no way. May it never be. Let's not cheapen the grace of God. Let's not dilute it. Let's not make it unamazing. 
So his response is by no means. Why? 1 through 14 of this chapter, a true believer has been set free from sin. And secondly, sin in verses 15 through 23 is incompatible with our conversion because our conversion experience, the change of heart that we have, causes us to want to, it causes us to desire to obey and follow God. All right, and that's the evidence, if you will, of true salvation. There is a, a change of masters, a change of allegiances in the life that is now worked out in daily life and daily decisions and the use of our physical body. So the theme of 15 through 23 is going to be this. It's not going to be freedom. It's going to be slavery. And automatically what pops into our minds. For me, it's, it's, I get, tend to get negative pictures when I think about slavery. But think of it in this way, because Paul's using it as an analogy, as a picture of the change that takes place in the heart of a truly born-again believer. Okay, and here's the way the analogy works. Slavery is a total, radical, and exclusive obedience. Okay, so a slave is completely devoted to satisfying a master, a leader. All right, and that's the aspect of it that Paul's grabbing hold of here. Now, if you look at verse 19, Paul says this about this analogy. He says, I put this in human terms, in a way that you can understand it because you are weak in your natural selves. Meaning, Paul's grabbing an illustration of what it is to be bound to Christ as a slave, but he understands that the analogy is prone to weaknesses or to some inconsistencies. Does that make sense? When we think of slavery, we think of, of dominating and demanding. And Paul's not saying that's your relationship with God. But what he is saying, that in salvation, Jesus Christ frees you from one form of slavery and brings you into a new realm of allegiance. Okay, and I almost want to use the word allegiance in place of slavery. So I'm going to bounce back and forth between those words because they capture what it is to be a Christian. I have this sense of obligation to be devoted to Christ. Just like in marriage, what happens? You make a commitment that I will give myself completely to this woman as long as I shall live. Her alone. It's an issue of allegiance. I don't think of myself as enslaved to my wife. But I do think of myself in a, in a covenantal relationship that demands and that requires allegiance to her. Right? That's the outworking of that relationship. Same thing is true with God. We are joined to Him in a way that causes him through Jesus to become our new master. He is our new allegiance. That's what conversion yields to in our lives. Okay? And the word master then in context is going to be talking about the word Lord, the sovereign one, the one with absolute uncontested authority. That when he asks us to do something and directs us in a certain direction, our response is, Lord, yes. Yes, I will obey you. I will follow you. I will yield to your control and to your demand. So let's work through this text then from a few different angles. I want to pick up in verse 16. Here's what Paul says. He says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are or you become slaves to the one whom you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin that leads to death or to obedience which leads to righteousness. Okay, so this is the first statement about this, this picture of slavery breaking and slavery coming. Okay, so 
And I think verse 16 is stated as a warning to us. And here's the warning. Sin has enslaving or addictive qualities. Okay, sin has enslaving or addictive qualities. Okay, it has the tendency to want to take over and to control. All right, that's just a warning now that Paul is giving to believers. So the idea is something like this. Sin can rule your life if you give yourself to it. Okay, if you live carelessly and pour yourself into sinful habits and sinful activities, you will find that it is no longer controlled by you, but that it becomes the controlling influence in your life. Now, what's the word that we use in our culture to describe that? Slavery to something. Right? The word we use, what's the word? Addiction, right? That's the word we use in our culture. An addiction is defined as this. It is a compulsive dependence on a substance or an activity or in a relationship. And you can go on and on to all kinds of things. It is a compulsive relationship where the person feels unable to help themselves out of it. Okay? And that's the way sin works. It has this addictive, enslaving quality to it. It shows up in numerous forms. It can be an addiction to money, material things. I want, but does money ever satisfy? Do, do, have any of you arrived at a place where you said, honestly, you know, I have enough? Okay, well, no. Same thing is true with lust. Same thing is true with addiction to work and success and achievement or substances and drugs or alcohol or fitness or food. There are many things that can all of a sudden take over. All right, sin has addictive, enslaving qualities to it. It can rule your life if you yield to it, but it can't rule your life if you don't yield to it as a Christian. Okay, it's there. Why does sometimes it feel controlling? Because we're yielding to it, we're giving in to it, we're not fighting it. And so in verse 16, Paul uses this analogy. He says, offer yourselves, okay, in verse 16, offer yourselves, and that means to Place yourself beside good things, habits, and practices. Don't place yourself. Don't give yourself to it. And the idea is the idea that was used for placing a sacrifice on the altar. Same word is used in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Offer yourselves to God. And when you offer yourselves to God, what does it do? It breaks the addictive tendency or the enslaving tendencies of sinful habits. So we give ourselves, we yield ourselves to good things and we find ourselves experiencing freedom. Now, here's what I think is interesting. We live in a world that wants freedom, right? Freedom from moral boundaries. Freedoms from absolute truth. So if you express your convictions about certain behaviors in the culture that you live in, you're rejected because you live in a world that wants what? Freedom. And here's the thinking. The more, of, uh, the more restrictions and oppressive kind of boundaries that we can remove, the freer people will be, right? That's the way the world thinks. How's Paul thinking here? Paul's saying whatever you yield yourself to, you become what? A slave to obey it. Okay? So when people say, you know, I just don't want restrictions on my terminology that I use or, or on what I put on Facebook or, or what I say to other people at work or my attitude towards my mate. I just, you know, I'd just rather be free. Understand this. Okay, freedom in sin is slavery. Okay, it has the capacity to flip over and to become compulsive. 
Okay, so that's the first thought that Paul goes after here as he talks to these believers about their new status as God's children. Young people wrestle with this. Okay, they wrestle with, why are my parents so worried about the choices that I make? Right? Why, why are my parents so involved? Why do they... And, and they, what do they do? They practice something that we call rebellion. Okay, what are they saying? I want to be free from these restraints that you're putting on me. Somehow, they get in their thinking that we dislike them. Right? And so we restrict their behavior because what we really don't want is them to be happy. Right? That's, and that's why our children rebel. Why? You know, Mom, Dad, if you keep me from this, I'm not going to be happy or cool or accepted or loved by my people. You know, I, and they feel restricted. What's the assumption? If you would just let me do what I want, I would be happy. Okay, and here's what I would say. Young person and older person, please understand this. Indulgence in sin does not lead to freedom. And when you are not free, you are enslaved. And when you are enslaved, you have forfeited your happiness. Okay, please understand that. And what is Paul saying? He says, he's saying, you're not free, really free, unless you are able not to sin. Do you understand that? You're not really free unless you are able to not sin. It's sad, isn't it? Because Satan flips that around. You know what he says? Less restrictions, more joy, more happiness, more fun. But the truth is this. If you can't not look at something, if you can't not drink something, if you can't not buy something, you are a slave to that thing. It has flipped over and is controlling you. Okay, it's very important that we as Christians understand that basic theme that is present in this text. Okay, so young person, your parents are restrictive in terms of your lifestyle and your choices because they love you. And you know what? Truthfully, they are trying to protect you. That's the truth. From what? From the enslaving capacities of sin so that if you get the tentacles of sin into your life, it is a battle to root them out. And so Paul gives us a warning. Sin has enslaving, addictive qualities. Secondly, he gives us an encouragement. Okay, so this first part is kind of dark, okay, that I can be enslaved to things that are destructive. But verse 17 and 18, notice what Paul says. In contrast, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching. And I think that wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching is simply what? It's an expression of the faith that they placed in Jesus Christ as they repented of their sin and were converted by the power of God. Okay, they, they heard the message. First Thessalonians talks about this in the church in Thessalonica. They welcomed the gospel. They wholeheartedly drew it in and allowed by the, the power of God to begin to bring change into their lives. Thanks be to God, Paul says, that though you used to be slave to sins, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted, which I believe is chapter 5, the doctrine of justification by grace through faith. You accepted that life-transforming grace. You have been set free from sin 
and have become slaves to righteousness. Now, this, this is, to me, is a, a very important truth about the nature of Christian living and experiencing progress in it, and it is this. Okay, it's an encouragement. Trusting in God's help, anyone can change or be freed. Okay, trusting in God's help, anyone can experience change and be freed. So as Paul talks about the believers in Rome, he says, you used to be slave to sins. You used to be held fast in bondage, under the control, under the sway, under the influence, inescapable. You couldn't not sin. Okay, that's, that's life before Christ. We have an inability to find victory over sin's power. But then Paul says, but you obeyed wholeheartedly. Idea, you held nothing back when you trusted Christ. And by the way, folks, I believe this. I believe that when someone comes to faith in Christ, there is a holding of nothing back. There is a complete giving of oneself to Christ, saying, God, I surrender my life to you. Save me and change me by your grace and for your glory. And then Paul makes this interesting statement. He says, you obeyed the form of teaching. And listen to the way this is stated. You obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. Not the teaching that was given to you, but the teaching to which you were entrusted. Passive. Okay, what does that mean? It means they responded in faith. That's what Paul's saying at the beginning of the verse. But later in the verse, what he's saying? When you believed, when you trusted, when you experienced the work of conversion, God was changing your master. He was bringing you from one place to a new place in your life. Okay, and that is, the, in a sense, the glory of this text. You were delivered. That is God's part in salvation. And then verse 18, notice how Paul talks. I want you to listen to the verbs that he uses. He says, you have been set free from sin and you have become slaves to righteousness. Now, what's, what's going on here? Here's the way theologians talk about it. They call it divine passives. Okay? Divine passives. Paul doesn't say, you set yourself free and you, became, you enslaved yourself to righteousness. No, you were set free and you were enslaved to righteousness. Okay, so when a person responds in faith to the work of God, what happens? God does the work of changing, right, and converting. That's his work. How is it described? He sets you free, and he sets you on a new course in life. He utterly changes the direction of your life. That's the glory of the gospel. So I don't have to, you know, people say, well, you know, Pastor Tim, I would come to Christ. I remember talking to a couple of you here that have trusted Christ. Before you came to Christ, you were wondering if you could pull it off. Do you see? If you, if, could I really live that changed life? And you were wrestling with the fact of inability. But when you place faith in Christ, what happened? God changed your heart. My pastor used to say, God changed your druthers. All right? you, druther, you used to want to do this, now you druther do this. He, he just gives you a new appetite. And you realize, that's God. Right? He delivered past divine passive, the work of God that reaches in and changes your heart in a way that you can't fully explain you know you believe, but you can't take credit for the magnitude or, or, or the length and breadth of the change. You've been emancipated from a former slavery and made a slave now to righteousness. And I think the thrust of this text is this. I can't change myself, but God can change me. You can't change yourself, 
But God can change you. You may have wrestled for years trying to change yourself. And things won't change. You know what Paul says? Yield yourselves to God. Let God take the lead. Let God change you from the inside out. It's not about addressing the externals, the things that bind us. It's about addressing the issue of desire. Let a love for Christ drive out other desires. Let the greater love of Christ drive out the lesser desires of sin and experience freedom. In Jeremiah 13, verse 23, Jeremiah asked this question. Can an Ethiopian change his skin or a leopard his spots? Neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. Folks, let that sink in. It's not about you, you know, kind of, you know, kind of ratcheting it up and getting yourself to a place where you can finally do it. No, it's about you coming to a place where you sweetly realize, I can't. I can't. The sweetest place you can come to in your life is to come to a place where you realize, I can't. And when you go to God with that kind of a cry, it's, it's Romans 10, 13. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. For what? For rescue. Shall be what? Rescued. All right, that's the promise of God. Come to me in that kind of a way and I will change your life. That's why the Apostle Paul at the end of Romans 7, in verse 24, looking at his sinfulness and his wrestling to become everything that God wants him to be, he finally says, oh, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? This body that's... Pro- Who will rescue me? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And folks, that change that you desire, that you crave, that you long for is only found in Christ. It's not found in human decisions alone. And I think that's why the beginning of verse 17 says, but thank God. Okay? Because this change of allegiance, this freedom that has come is owing to what? Not what you've done, because if it's owing to what you've done, then it's praise be to you. And that would be weird to come here and sing songs and praise with people. What we sang about this morning is what? We sang about what God can do. And that's the glory of the gospel. I can't change myself. But God can change me. For many people, addictions become lifelong prisons that people feel that they can never escape. Paul does not talk about subtle change. Paul talks about deliverance here. Paul talks about transformation here. About victory about an entirely new identity by the miracle of the new birth. And I think this, by the way, is Paul's rationale for why in verse 15 he says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No way. Why? We've been changed by the power of God. So as we trust in his help, he brings lasting and effective change. Second half of verse 18. It says, you have become set free from sin and have... Become slaves to righteousness. Now, what's the principle that's here? The principle here is a miracle. Okay, it's a miracle. Salvation produces a radical and total change of allegiance. Okay, and that's the whole idea of this text. Slavery is allegiance to a master. It is an unbreakable allegiance. In the gospel, what did God do? God changed my allegiance so that I no longer want Ephesians 2, 1 to be true, the prince and power of the air ruling my life. I want Christ to be Lord 
of my life. Now, this, just think about this. You have become set free from sin, that old slavery, and have become slaves to righteousness. Now, what does that mean to become a slave to righteousness? All right, it means that choosing to do the right thing becomes compulsive. It becomes normative. It becomes habitual. It becomes like the relationship between a slave and their master. Always looking for direction to God. And when that happens, what happens? I become a slave to righteousness. Okay, I was reading in Psalm 119 a few weeks ago, and I was, have been seeking to help a, a, a relative of mine with, with an issue that they were trying to battle through in their marriage. Trying to work through and, and, and just come to a place of understanding what's going on. I read Psalm 119, verses 31 and 32. And, and something jumped out at me that is, 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 is consistent with what Paul is saying here. You became a slave to righteousness. Psalm 119, 31 says this. I hold fast to your statutes. Oh Lord, do not let me be put to shame. Why? Because I'm holding fast to your statutes. I am doing good things that do not bring shame. I run in the path of your commands. For you have set my heart free. That phrase just was like a, a dart. Sticking, digging in. I run in the path of your commands. You've set my heart free. Now when I think of running, I think of drudgery. I think of hard work. I think of pain. But there's also part of me that when I think of running, I think of a horse running, just set out in the meadow and just free. I think of people, someone just so excited and so happy about something. Kind of the, they can't kind of contain themselves. It's like when somebody gets that, that Reader's Digest sweet state thing and they come to the house, the person just stand there and say, okay, thank you, I'm glad I won. No, what, what how, you, do, you get this sense of bubbling up in energy that you just, this joy starts to overflow. David says, I run in the path of your commands. You set my heart free. Here's what's odd about it. What's odd about it, I was talking with Willie Azepi about this, he said, that's weird. Because don't we usually look at commands as what? Confining. Restrictive. In terms of our freedom. Okay? Can I convert the image for you? I don't like speed limit signs. I like guardrails. Okay? I feel speed limit signs feel restrictive. But to be honest with you, when someone buzzes by me at a ridiculous rate of speed and a cop goes after them to pull them over, I'm happy. And I'm hypocritical. Right? I'm happy that, that there is a rule that protects everyone there. And when people live outside of those boundaries, it's dangerous and it's destructive. I'm grateful for guardrails. When I'm on certain highways, I am glad there is a guardrail there because that guardrail causes me to move forward with confidence and freedom. Whereas when I drove up Mount Washington without guardrails, what did I feel? I felt apprehensive. I felt exposed. Okay? Uh, about a year ago, I went to the top of the Empire State Building. Okay? And when I got up there, walked out, and you know what I found? I found restrictions. There was a fence that minimized my freedoms. But I was glad it was there. Tested it, make sure it's good, and then leaned against it. Right? That fence, it's not, it's not a restriction. It's a protection. And when God changes your heart, you know what you do? You run in the path of His commands. You... you, you're, you it's not slavery. It's not drudgery. It's protection. It preserves your life. 
And so you can look at God's law and God's directive in a way that is utterly different than the way you used to look at it before. Same thing is true for a child who comes to realize, you know what? Mom and dad have my best interest in mind. Who would have thought? They, they're, you, know, you just, you imagine your 11th grade child or 10th grade child laying in bed thinking, I, I got it. I went to bed so mad, but you know what? I get it. You would honestly, you would say to your child, what happened to you? Did God visit you last night? Because <laughs> what happened? Well, the light went on. I see that those boundaries and those restrictions and those commands are not punishments. They're protection to keep me from the enslavement of sin. Every loving parent does that. God is love. He is your Father. And He calls you to become a slave to righteousness. Think about this. We understand what it is to be a slave to bad things, but he's calling us to be bound to good things. Well, see, that's what the Spirit of God does. He causes us to want to love our wives rather than speak negatively against them. He causes us in the workplace to want to be a good, faithful worker as opposed to a slothful person. Do you see? And, and you run in those commands. God is energizing obedience by the power of his Spirit. And it is a beautiful thing. The allure of slavery is in this case defeated by the greater desire of enjoying Christ and His commands, His plans, His purposes. And I would argue that that is true freedom. Not the freedom that the world argues for that leads to slavery. But a, a freedom that gives you a change of allegiance, a change of masters. And then lastly, there's this hope. Verse 19 through 22. Paul says, I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. As you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery. And the parts of your body just simply is the vehicle in which you live. You used to offer it in slavery to impurity. And, and listen to this. Ever increasing wickedness. So now offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. Now, if you look at this in the original, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find that in sin, there is a yielding to sin that leads to more sin. The word literally is yield to lawlessness. It always leads to more lawlessness. The relationship that you have with sin is not static. Okay? It's not controllable and containable. Okay? And the relationship that you have with God as you give yourself to Him and follow His commands by the Spirit, is not static. That's what Paul's saying. Both are moving in a direction. Utterly opposite directions. Alright, sin is leading to what? In the text he says, it leads to shame. Things that you do not want to talk about. And ultimately leads to death. It kills the joy that is present in Christ. That's death for a Christian. What does righteousness do? Well, when you embrace truth when you embrace god's commands and god's path what does it do it, it it it's righteousness law keeping that leads to holiness or more and greater conformity to what jesus is doing do you see so when you yield to that what may be a more difficult path of obedience what is it doing it begins to change you from the inside to the outside neither are static so this change of allegiance then, in verses 19 to 22, will increasingly manifest Jesus in your daily life. That's 
growth in Christ. All right, that change of allegiance is what? It is breaking the power of sin and it is causing more and more righteousness to be present in the life of someone who has been converted by the grace of God. Folks, that's a great place to be. Where a love for Christ is growing, where a desire to obey Him is growing, where a commitment to righteousness is growing. A change of allegiance that begins to completely change and affect who you are. The new life manifests itself in ever-increasing holiness. And here's the thing I want to say to you. Okay, so that as we go, we don't say, oh, I just need to try harder. Okay, I want you to realize that you can't break the slavery of sin. Only God can. And in this text, what are we encouraged to do? Give yourselves to God. Trust God. Expect God by faith to break the power of sin in your life and to cause you to begin to love, to become a slave to good things. And realize that those good things are there functionally to bring protection and guidance in your life from God. A life that is free from shame and guilt and sorrow and brokenness. But this is a cooperative effort, folks. We give ourselves to God, and what does God do? God begins to produce in our lives ever-increasing righteousness, ever-increasing change for His glory. And so Paul will say in this text, he says, when you were slaves to sin, verse 20, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of or don't want to speak of or name? Those things result in death. But now... You have been set free and have become slaves. Now, that's the weird contrast, isn't it? You've been set free and made slaves. What is it? You've changed allegiances. God is causing you to love Christ. And the result of that is ever-increasing righteousness. God has caused you to want to obey Christ rather than the passing pleasures of sin for a season. And the result is an increasing righteousness. Folks, that's the hope of the Christian life. What God started in you, He's going to finish. He's not going to do it on His own. He's going to do it in cooperation with you. That's what sanctification is. We yield to the work of the Spirit of God in our lives. He brings in ever-increasing fruit of righteousness that yields to beautiful, glorious, and powerful change. Verse 23 then closes this text. And it's a verse that probably most of you know. It says this. It says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Folks, if you've never been freed from sin, if you are a slave to sin, okay, here's what Paul wants you to know. There's freedom in Christ. Embrace His word wholeheartedly. Let Him do the divine passes of conversion in your life, forgiving you and changing you, regenerating you and giving you a new master. Let Him do it. And if you're a Christian, you know what Paul's saying? The wages of sin is a slow death of your spiritual life. But the free gift of God is eternal life. Now, what are wages? All right, wages are what I earn, they're what I deserve. And the word is used for a soldier in Rome who would go out and do his tour of duty. And when he came back, he got what he deserved. And here's what the Bible says. The wages of sin is death. What I deserve for my sin is death. What have I been given? If you've trusted Christ, you know what you've been given? You've been given life. 
You've been given a transformation. God has changed you and freed you and bound you to himself. That is the glory of the gospel. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I would argue this, that when you love and appreciate that gift from Christ, when you ponder it, when you treasure it, when you desire it, what happens? It drives out, it kills the power of sin. All right, the reformers called it the expulsatory power of affection for Christ. That when you love Christ, it does not leave room for sin. Okay, you know what Paul, what is Paul doing? He's seeking to increase our affection for Christ. Why? He freed us. He gave us the gift of eternal life through his shed blood on the cross. Love him. And when you love him, you will find that you experience eternal life now. Freedom from sin now. Victory in your life now. One writer has said that our tendency is to listen too much to ourselves. Listen to the negative thoughts. Listen to our struggles. Listen to the condemnation of sin and the evil one. Instead, what do we need to do? We need to talk to ourselves about who we are in Christ. That we have been set free from sin. And that Satan is not my master. No, Jesus is my master. And we rehearse for ourselves those blessings of what it is to be in Christ. And as we do, he begins to transform and change us. And he begins to cause us to love good, to love righteousness, to love the restrictions that he's placed in our life. Because we now understand, oh, that's there for this purpose. Thank you. Do you see? That we become slaves of righteousness. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?